0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of IoT This Week. I'm your host, Craig Smith. On this episode, we will chat about NIST and IoT. We'll talk a bit about botnets, ransomware as a service. We'll chat a bit about NASA. And I also purchased a Mavic Air um, drone, which is actually really, really cool. This is episode 37 of IoT This Week. All right, so first up, let's talk about NIST. So NIST is taking their own shot at documenting security standards for the Internet of Things. So they've come out with a report, and it's called the Interagency Report on Status of International Cybersecurity Standardization for the Internet of Things. So, yeah, it's quite a mouthful. So in general, it has several sections. Um, the first few give an overview of IoT such as scope, methodology, IoT, and some examples of IoT. And then when we get to section six of the report, it covers um, what it covers their breakdown of the various security areas of IoT, like cryptographic techniques and network security. So, and I'll go back and um, talk real quick about actually all the section, all the uh, areas in section six. Um, Section 7, it covers security objectives, risk, and threats, and goes into some areas like consumer IoT, health IoT, smart buildings, and smart manufacturing. And then we get to Section 8. It covers the standards landscape for each of those areas in Section 6. And then finally, um, in Section 9 of the report, it goes into the current status of standards um, regarding the various areas in Section 6. All right, so getting back to the areas that are actually covered in, or the, the report covers in Section 6. So their areas, uh, as they define them, they are cryptographic techniques, cyber incident management, identity and access management, information security management systems, IT system security evaluation, hardware assurance, network security security automation and continuous monitoring, software assurance, supply chain risk management, and system security engineering. All right, so like I mentioned, um, that's their breakdown of various security areas, security areas for IoT. And one of the things they've done in section nine, is the where they kind of give their um, – based on their report on where they think the standardization, IoT standardization, kind of the current status of that is. Um, so kind of the areas they cover, at least in their support, um, they'll go into things like connected vehicles, consumer IoT, like I said, it mentioned health IoT, smart buildings, and, ma- and smart manufacturing. So if you look at one of these, so for example, cryptographic techniques, um, and you look at connected vehicles, um, what they're saying is that standards are available. However, the uptake for these standards has been slow. Um, We kind of get the same thing on consumer IT. There are standards available when it comes to cryptographic techniques, however, the uptake has been slow. Um, And if we go to health IoT and medical devices, Um, there's some standards available. Again, we have, we have slow uptake and I think, you know, pretty much slow uptake is kind of the, uh, kind of the theme across the board. Um, one of the things that does vary is, is, you know, the number and kind of where, how many standards are available for, um, these various sections. Um, anyway, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting port to take a look at, um, Some of the, how they've broken up what they're calling the core areas of cybersecurity standardization is kind of interesting. At some point, what I'll need to do is go back and kind of compare what they've come up with, um, with what we put forth a while ago on the OWASP IoT project and see how those things compare. Uh, But anyway, um, yeah, take a look at that report um, if you get a chance to. And as I mentioned, um, we'll be talking a bit about another yet another IoT botnet. So so the reason why I bring this one up, um, because this one's pretty interesting in the fact that it it actually originated on Grand Theft Auto servers. So my guess is this probably started as um as a technique for, you know, one player to DDoS another player, um, when it came to the games. Um But for 20 bucks, apparently you can launch a 300 gigabit per second DDoS attack um, using a herd of IoT devices. And it looks like it's kind of, right now, at least it's concentrated around some vulnerable routers uh, made by Realtek and Huawei. Um, But yeah, and uh, when you look at the article, there's actually, I guess the, I guess there's actually must be a site um, where... You can apparently get different levels of DDoS attacks and, you know, 20 bucks, you know, getting you the 300 gig gigabit per second um, selection. So, yeah, um, pretty interesting. And then next up, we have a topic that I've brought up in, I think, a few um, past podcast episodes where farmers are fighting for their right to repair um their, especially John Deere tractors. Um, as these tractors become more and more software driven, um, especially for John Deere, they won't they won't allow the farmers to actually repair their own tractors um, because they're basically saying, "Hey, you know, the software is um, copyright protected and you can't do anything with it." So the, tra- the so the farmers um, have to take take their tractors to only you know authorized. Tractor dealers, a lot of of times these these tractor dealers are a long way away, um, and it's impossible for these um, farmers to take their equipment, you know, to these very few places around the country to get them fixed. So anyway, they've been uh, one of the things, and this is um, something I think I uh, talked about a while, like I said, a while ago in some of the podcasts. Some of these farmers were going to... um, Think places in the Ukraine or something like that. They were basically getting software that had been hacked, um, so they were able to actually um, fix their own equipment. So anyway, um, getting back to the original story, uh, uh, motherboard is put together is putting together a documentary um, about these farmers fighting for their right to repair. So this will be interesting, um, you know, to see see what all motherboard um, found out as part of this documentary um, and see if there's you know anything comes of this to where maybe the the tractor manufacturers back off on some of this or what but uh, you know we'll see and then finally under IOT uh, it looks like some MIT researchers have built a new dedicated chip that's um, strictly built to perform public key encryption and this particular chip, it consumes only one four hundredth of the power compared to encryption that requires software. And it also uses about one-tenth as much memory and it executes 500 times faster. So, which seems reasonable um, given that anytime you dedicate hardware to something, it usually ends up being faster than when you do it in software. But for IoT, if they can actually get this to where you know they can do production, uh, high production on it, um, it scales well and all that sort of thing, um, this would actually be uh, quite interesting for IoT devices since one of the issues right now is because they're such low power, they don't have a lot of computing power, trying to implement encryption is often a challenge because as uh, most people know, especially when it comes to websites, or encrypting anything, there's always some kind of hit on performance um, in most cases that you that you'll um, take when you're actually performing encryption. So we'll see how this goes, um, but this is actually this could really be helpful for IoT devices if they're actually able to um, kind of manufacture a you know dedicated chip for encryption at large scale. Okay, so ransomware, and what would an episode be without discussing ransomware? So apparently there is some New ransomware that's been spotted by the Malware Hunter team, and it's been named Saturn um, again because we have to name everything. Um, so Saturn um, is is ransomware that's being actively distributed uh, distributed on the internet um, right now. The methods are apparently, you know, how they're distributing it is unknown. And the ransomware at the moment is not decryptable. So there's a lot of the ransomware out there that people have picked apart, and you know they've um, found the encryption keys, or they've came up come up with a way to to decrypt it. Um, however, this particular um, piece of ransomware called Saturn isn't. Um, what it does, it uh, you know once it gets in, or once a machine gets infected, it disables the Windows repair. Uh, clears the Windows backup catalog, it encrypts files, adds Saturn to the name, um, leaves a ransom note in each folder, uh, which contains a link to, obviously, a payment site, and the the initial ransom amount is set to $300, and it apparently doubles after seven days. So the interesting thing about this particular piece of ransomware is that um the creators of it are offering a um, ransomware as a service affiliate program so yeah that's a interesting twist to all this so according to the article um the affiliate members of the program they get 70 percent of the payment and the creators get 30 percent so yeah, ransomware as a service. Um, another interesting twist on uh, ransomware. And then we have an issue with the Windows Ten anti-malware scan interface. So apparently there is a null character bug. And essentially what it does, once you um, you know you go through the interface, you tell it to scan a file, it'll scan a file up until it hits a null character in that file. And then it drops the rest of the data. So, what that means is that the attacker um, only needs to hide malicious commands behind the null character in order to bypass the um, anti-malware scan interface checks. So, I'm sure we'll see, um, you know, a security update come out to fix that. But uh, that's actually, uh, yeah, it's actually pretty interesting that somebody was able to. Uh, find that so yeah um anti-mile anti-anti easy for you to say anti-malware scanner face um and no character bugs so yeah definitely have a look at that and probably be on the lookout for an update from microsoft and since we mentioned ransomware as a service we need to mention um, trojans so in this particular instance we're we're talking about TrickBot. um TrickBot Trojan has been around, actually, for a while. Um, I think it's been around since uh, 2016 or so. Um, and initially targeted financial entities, um, such as banks and credit providers. Um, but now, given the popularity of Bitcoin, also, you know, how v- valuable Bitcoin is these days, although it's about half of what it was at its peak, around $20,000, I think right now the day it's worth around $11,000 um, U.S. Dollars per Bitcoin. So obviously that grabs uh, grabs criminals' attention um, and gives them incentive to steal it. So in this instance, TrickBot's actually putting itself between the Bitcoin exchange website and the payment service. So essentially what happens is, um, and you can probably guess what happens um, once this Trojan's in place, instead of the Bitcoins going to where they should be going on the exchange site uh, as part of the payment service, um, those bitcoins simply get routed to the attacker. The attackers control attacker-controlled wallet, bitcoin wallet. So I think the um, general lesson here is: if you've got bitcoin, uh, you've got to be very, very careful with it, and where you have your wallet. You probably don't want your wallet on a machine that you do anything else with. Especially, you don't. You especially don't want your wallet on something uh, on a like a Windows machine that you're surfing the web on. Um, isolate it. only use it when you need to and if you have lots of Bitcoin, definitely don't tell anybody about it um, because you know the way it is now um, kind of telling everybody you've got especially if you've got a lot of it um, that you've got a lot of Bitcoin just like if you tell people you've got a lot of money um, it just makes you a target. And I also think yeah there's a story later in the podcast um, again in relation to Bitcoin, and this is where Bitcoin thieves are actually resorting to real violence um, to steal virtual currency. So we'll talk about that um, in a few minutes. And there is a new search engine called Buck Hacker. And essentially what it does is let you search through Amazon's simple storage service, storage service called S3 and dig around on Bucket. So if you haven't used um, S3 When you store data on there, it's stored in things called buckets, and you can set different permissions on there. You can set it up for private use. You can also do things with those buckets, um, especially if you're doing something that's public. Uh, The problem is people are often prone to giving the wrong permissions on those buckets and leaving things to be public or um, available to the Internet at large instead of making them private. So... Basically, what this search search engine does is look through those buckets that are, or most likely it looks through these buckets that are um, available to the public and probably does some kind of indexing on them and then lets you search through them. So I'm sure, um, sure you know, as there's been stories where um, lots of things, confidential things have been found in these buckets because people set the permissions on them wrong, and I'm sure that won't be the last time. Now this um, particular search engine probably just makes that a bit easier. And then finally, under security, just a quick kind of public service announcement. Um, in the U.S., it's tax season, and IR- IRS scams are abundant. And one of the issues that's that's happening now is that because of all the information that's been compromised, especially like name and Social Security number, um, taxes are getting f- – fraudulent tax returns are getting filed using this information. So when the legitimate person goes to file their taxes, their tax return gets rejected, and turns out you know they've been a victim of identity theft and so forth. So again, just look out if you get emails from the IRS, ignore them, delete them. The IRS does not send emails out. Um, if the IRS needs to contact you for some reason, um, I think what I've read is that they basically send a representative, an actual person, um, to your house you know, and not, you know, not trying to get you to do things for the email. So again, just, uh, just be careful. All right. So let's move to the technology part of the podcast. And I thought this one was really cool. Um, I knew that the opportunity Rover on Mars had been there for a while. Um, I didn't realize it'd been there that's this long, but apparently it's seen, um, now it's seen 5,000 Martian sunrises, um, So just super cool. Um, I mean, this is a mission that was designed originally for 90 days. And this thing's still going after 5,000 Martian days. So, yeah, NASA, whatever they did on that one, they did something right because this thing's been going for a long time. So, you know, hopefully once we are able to get um, actual people on Mars, um, hopefully it'll go just as well. And then uh, I'm sure most of you guys have heard about the um, Telugu character bug in iOS, which um, essentially crashes iOS, and I think it also crashes um, various apps. Um, Apple's released iOS 11.2.6 to address this issue, so if you've got a iOS device, definitely update it so somebody can't be a jackass and send a character, that Telugu character, to you and crash your phone or iPad or whatever. Um, and then the Mercedes Benz. So apparently they are also, if you guys, well, actually my backup. So if you guys, um, I'm sure you guys know of of Dieselgate with Volkswagen, um, and all the, um, financial penalties they ran into, um, with that, where they were, they had installed cheat software, um, to get past the emissions testing on their diesel vehicles. Um, and I think I read a story the other day where it's cost them, Um, up till now, I think it's cost Volkswagen about $30 billion because of that. Um, so I don't know at this point, a lot of times companies, um, will basically make a decision based on risk. You know, they might get knowing they might get caught, but they still end up making money at this point. I'm not really sure they've made money on it. Um, if it's cost them $30 billion, but anyway, uh, Mercedes Benz, um, they're kind of the next contestant here. They're being investigated, um, for sort of the same thing, um, for installing diesel emissions cheating software on their diesel cars. So <clears throat> so we'll see where this goes. And then, like I mentioned earlier, um, when it comes to Bitcoin, um, because of the value, and if, if you also have a lot of it, um, you basically have a target on your back if you let people know this. Um, so not only is there malware out there that's getting installed on people's machines to try to steal Bitcoin, people are actually being threatened when... Um, that person's discovered to have Bitcoin. They're actually being um, threatened with real violence to steal virtual currency. And I think the story, the link, of, link to the story, I have in the show notes or the newsletter. They um, they've actually kidnapped a couple people and basically said, "Hey, um, you know, if you want to get released, um, you know, send send a send a certain amount of Bitcoin to this wallet. Um, so and you know, we'll release you." So essentially along the same lines as, you know, kidnapping and then, you know, holding ransom for a million dollars, whatever. But instead of dollars, they're using uh, going after Bitcoin. <coughs> Excuse me. And then finally, under technology, um, Chrome in their latest release, I think uh, uh, version 64, they've added um, ad blocking or they've enabled ad blocking uh, by default. And, you know, they're not, I mean, Chrome, you know, Chrome's owned by Google. Google's obviously an advertising business, so they're not trying to black block all ads. But what they're trying to do um, is block certain ways people do ads in order to um, kind of keep ads from turning people off. So it gives um, users a better ad experience. And then hopefully, you know, if the ad experience is better, people will stop using um, ad blockers so much. But either way... Um, it's still cool that they're doing that um, just to kind of cut down on all the crap when you're trying to uh, browse various internet sites and this to, and then just a few more items before we finish up the podcast. Um, as I mentioned last week, um, I've been doing a review of the wise cam security camera. So if you guys haven't seen this, um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool um, piece of equipment. It only costs $20 per camera. Um, it does quite a few cool things. Um, I have several of these things. I'm actually use them. Um, I use a lot of IoT devices, even though there's obviously there's there's plenty of security issues that you see in the news. Um, but I mean, I think is it's like anything else. I mean, as long as you handle them properly, you know, you know, understand that they've got security issues, and just protect yourself from them. Um, I think it's still okay to use them. And like I said, I use a lot of a lot of different things like thermostats and cameras and so forth. Um, so I looked into one of the things I wanted to look to, look into as far as the Wise Cam goes um, was seeing if I could capture the um, firmware update uh, when um, when one of the cameras needs an update, it'll pull it down from wherever and then you know upgrade the upgrade the camera. So. One of the cool things with this camera, um, and this is actually good news, um, when it pulls down the update, um, it actually pulls it over TLS so the, so the firmware is encrypted in transit, Um, so I'll have to see if there's another way to, um, you know, capture the firmware and see if I can, so if I actually can capture it and get a hold of it in the clear, I can actually pull it apart. one of the things when it came to updates, and I noticed this on Twitter back on um, late January, you know, one of the questions was to the company, Wisecam, when they pulled their updates, were they strictly pulling them from Amazon servers in the U.S., um, or were they pulling them from things places like China, um, which I also mentioned last week. That was, you know, it's still – so the camera is pulling updates from the U.S. However, it is still trying to communicate to um, – servers for some reason in China. So again, like I said, if you're going to use these devices, you just kind of have to be careful with these things because I'm, especially on my IoT network, I'm blocking traffic out to China and so forth. However, the cameras still work fine. So I'm not exactly sure why they want to go to China because the products still work. You know, maybe it's something left over or whatever. But anyway, um, the company stated that the updates only come from Amazon servers and it looks like that is the case, Amazon servers in the US. So that's good. And also, just a side note, there is a version two of this camera coming out. Um, I think right now it's back ordered. Um, I've ordered one just so I can see what the new capabilities are and see if there's anything interesting uh, from a security standpoint. Uh, but like I said, I you know these cameras are cool, especially for 20 bucks. Definitely recommend them if you're looking for some kind of inexpensive security camera that you can use with a mobile app. Um, the only thing I wish they'd come out with now is sort of like an outdoor version. Um, that'd be kind of cool. Um, one of the other things I did, um, I know lots of people already have like, um, drones out there, uh, you know, they've been around for a while, uh, but I was waiting till some of the technology kind of matured, um, especially like software on the, on the drones. Um, so I've actually purchased a Mavic air drone. And, and if you haven't, if you haven't, um, purchased a drone, I highly recommend it. I mean, it's not the cheapest drone out there. Uh, But it's not the most expensive either. Um, But it's kind of like DJI's. They've kind of taken all the lessons learned from the previous drones and put it into this drone. And, you know, I mean, at least from my standpoint, obviously I'm a noob at um, flying these things. Um, But they've kind of taken all the lessons learned and put it into the software for this thing. It's also got a really great, um, at at least from my opinion, it's a really good 4K camera on it. Um, the thing is like super stable, um, easy to fly. It has a remote control. I mean, you can control it with your phone if you want, which seems kind of wonky to me. I'd rather use the controller and the sticks. Um, but yeah, it's just a cool device overall on my website. I, you know, it can take like a sphere panorama, um, just does a lot of cool stuff. Um, like I said, I highly recommend it if you're looking to, you know, finally get into flying drones, um, if you do in the U S obviously there's things to be careful of. You need to register with the FAA, you know, be careful where you're flying it. Don't get close to airports, all that sort of stuff. Um, but anyway, yeah, just, a, a cool toy. I guess if you want to call it toy, it's an expensive, rather expensive toy. It's not a cheap toy. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, cool. Nonetheless. All right. Then finally, and I found this on Microsoft site. So I've been, I've uh, been reading it up on uh, threat modeling, so threat modeling is one of those, um, you know, security threat modeling, that's one of the, one of these things that you read about it, it kind of seems straightforward, but then you start thinking about it and it kind of starts bleeding in the other things, other things like, um, I mean, it's part of risk management and it's just parts of lots of, lots of different things security related, uh, more than likely, even though you may not have officially been doing threat modeling, you've probably done some kind of threat modeling, even though you haven't realized it and it sometimes it turns into this nebulous thing that's it's hard to kind of kind of hard to define. So um, so yeah, so threat modeling um, I've been looking into that specifically um, IoT threat modeling. So I came across um, a a really good a inf- uh, really good document that Microsoft put together. Um, obviously the the whole document is kind of it kind of works around their um, Azure IoT offering, but um, nonetheless, it still um, still pertains to um, IoT. Even though some of the stuff they're talking about um, has to do with Azure, so they uh, they essentially they break it down into four different sections. So they break it down into a device section, a field gateway gateway section. Um, cloud gateways and services and then what they do in the document is kind of they use stride Um, so if you don't you know have a look at that strides a particular methodology for identifying threats excuse me it's it's identifying threats as part of um, threat modeling so they use stride to identify some various threats um, in these different iot areas and then they kind of talk about some different things in regards to IoT. So, for example, like, um, let me look one of these examples up here. So, for example, like under tampering is part of Stride, an attacker may be able to replace the firmware running on the device. And so you want to be able to ensure that only authorized firmware is allowed to run on the, on the device. So that's one of the examples. Um, when you're working through the um stride um methodology for identifying threats when it comes to um threat modeling but anyway check it out um like i said it's an ar- article from Microsoft um and it's pretty interesting cuz it gives you an idea not only on threat modeling um but on IoT threat modeling all right so that is the podcast for this week Um, As always, um, you can reach me at podcast at IOTThisWeek.com. I'm also on Twitter at CraigZ28. Um, Yeah, let me know if you've got any feedback uh, or whatever. Um, Anyway, that's this week's podcast, and have a great day.